Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This is episode number 252. Uh, on this episode, I mean, you know, like summer is in the air, maybe. It's getting, it's starting to get super hot out, out here in Colorado. And I thought, what better time to sit down with two complete badasses and talk about freezing cold winter ultras and talk about their experience running the Iditarod Trail Invitational. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we can just like, if it's like too hot where you are while you're listening to this, you can just bask in the in the glory of just thinking about how cold Alaska is or how cold the Arrowhead 135 or Tuscobia, you know, these winter ultras are. Um, Anyways, today we're going to sit down. We're going to talk to Kari Gibbons. Uh, Kari is a winter ultra runner. I mean, she's an ultra runner in general, but she runs this like very unique, really cool, subcategory of ultras up in some of the coldest places in the United States at the coldest time of the year. Um, So we will sit down and talk to her. She also, this year, she won the uh, women's foot version of the Iditarod Trail Invitational. So she did basically the Iditarod, they'll get into it, like how long it was, but um, usually it's 350. I think they had to add more this year just based on changing the course due to COVID regulations. Um, so think about it, like you're running over 350 miles in Alaska in the winter. It is cold. It is freezing. It is rugged, but you'll hear it in this conversation. Like Kari just absolutely loves that. Like she is amazing. I she's like a hero of mine after talking with her because I'm like, you understand and get this. Like you get what is so amazing about going out there and exploring uh the wilderness, but also like exploring your own personal limits. Um super cool. Uh, I brought on Ryan Wanless. He's kind of a co-host, kind of I also was wanting to hear about his Iditarod race as well. Um, Ryan has been on the show a few times. There's some of my favorite episodes. Uh, We talked about his Iditarod last year. Um, We also talked about a few years ago, the Arrowhead 135 during a polar vortex. Um, And I've talked to Ryan's wife, Emily Wanless. She's an amazing ultra runner as well. So if you love this episode, and you will, these guys are awesome. Um, please go back. Please listen to those other shows uh, with Ryan too. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, I'm pretty sure these two have planted the seed of, hey, Chris, you should go out and try a winter ultra. Um, one of the biggest ones, Tuscobia, uh, it, the turnaround spot is basically like half mile from my dad's house in Wisconsin, in Northern Wisconsin. So, um, the seed has been planted Kari and, uh, and Ryan. So we'll see how it goes. I, if I do, I will be calling them up cause they are awesome and super knowledgeable and just super fun people to talk with. Um, before we get into the episode, uh, desert rats film real quick, uh, for everyone who's supported our Indiegogo. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, just knowing that people are getting behind this project is a huge boost because something like this is definitely a marathon or an ultra marathon. 
uh, versus like a sprint. And it's one of those things you have to be passionate about every single day to get done. And so when I see that people are donating, it is this like, along with it just being awesome and I'm super psyched and I'm excited for people to see our film. Um, it also gives me that little boost of like, you can do it. Keep going, keep going. Like you got this. Um, we're about a month out from that. So, uh, it'll be really cool. So, uh, if you want go on support, uh, if you just go to Indiegogo, desert rats film um i put the link in our instagram and all that stuff all right more importantly though let's this is the first episode where um there is a uh an animal attack story and it deals with ptarmigans which are my favorite one of my favorite animals definitely my favorite ground nesting bird for sure um so let's get right into it this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 252 with kari gibbons co-hosted by the awesome Ryan Wanless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so excited. We're going to like geek out about winter ultras on this one. And I'm super, super excited. Uh, We're going to sit down and talk to Kari Gibbons. um, And to help me interview today, I'm, I'm just very excited for this too. I brought Ryan Wanless on as a co-host, but really my secret plan is to sit back and enjoy this beer and just listen to you guys talk about the Iditarod and winter races. And I was already getting a taste of it and I was like, we need to start right away. So uh, thank you guys for coming on the podcast this week. Thank you. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, I want to get into the Iditarod um, because I mean, we've talked about it before, like that just blows my mind and is kind of like the essence of a big adventure in my mind, uh, in my imagination, because I've never been up there. Um, so I definitely want to hear about that. But you guys were just talking about all the fun winter races uh, in the kind of like Minnesota, Wisconsin area. So so yeah, and you have all your trophies right behind you, Kari. Classic. <laughs> what's uh like what's the thing that draws you guys to this? Like what's at you know the really cold, really long ultras? Why do you guys like that so much? Ryan, you want to start? Um <laughs> To me, I'd I'd say it's the it's the people. Yeah, it's a little bit slower paced. You really get to interact a little bit more. Um, you know, it's not a it's not a team event or this event or that, but you get to leapfrog people a lot more in a winter ultra because they might be stopping to change clothes, eat, drink, do all this other stuff. So it's so nice, um, you know, to come through them and. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a warm experience for me. Did you say warm, warm experience? Warming, warming. I, I guess. Um, <laughs> That's a choice words. Yeah. That's awesome. What about you, Kari? Um, I, I agree with Ryan um, on all points there. Uh, I really like the pace of it. You know, it's, you know, you're, you are walking all day um, and all night, but it's a nice hike and you can kind of just, I get to tune out and look at nature and think about life and um, just the, the way the races are structured. Yeah. Um, the way the races are structured are really 
it's really nice for me. I just like that kind of slower pace, um, even though we're working hard. Um, and then it's winter, you know, it's beautiful. It's fun to be outside when it's really cold, but you're warm. You know, everybody's tucked in their little houses, but we're outside walking all night long. It's, it's a cool feeling. It's a really that, cool feeling. That is cool. Can you guys kind of like, what are the big winter races? Obviously I've heard of Arrowhead. We were just talking about Tuscobia because the turnaround is at my dad's house. Basically I told him, I'm like, you have to volunteer there some year. Like you have to go out and volunteer and just see what it is, you know, but what are the big races out there? I mean, definitely Arrowhead and Tuscobia. I mean, being in the Midwest, it's, I feel really lucky to be close to such, you know, big, big races like that. Um, who else? The Drift is a big one. That's too scary for me. I don't know if I'll be able to do that one, but where is that, Ryan? Is that Wyoming? Or yeah, I, I think it's like Pinedale, Pinedale, Wyoming. So just outside of Victor, um, I believe on the, yeah. Why, why is that one too scary for you? It's a lot of climbing. Okay. A lot of climbing and it's a hundred miler. So as winter ultras go, I'd say it's kind of short, but, um, <laughs> but it is, there's just a lot of climbing, which isn't necessarily my, strength <laughs> maybe i just have to work on that and go and do it anyways yeah maybe that's awesome what other are there any other kind of like big ones in the winter st croix 40 is kind of the they kind of fill the niche of the entry level where you really don't have to spend the night or anything like that but they still require you to carry your polk and um your survival gear and it's you know a 40 miler and you know it gets it gets cold too so that's a really good one and then yeah, that's good. JP's Fat Pursuit started last year where they had, a, like, I think they had three or four people that kind of tested it out um, last year. And then this year it was canceled, but I met another guy that was also in the ITI over there. And we just did the first um, 55 miles of that course. But this year, the back half of the course, we, we didn't really know much about it, but we thought if we started on the back half you either have to finish it otherwise there's no way to get out of it um yeah. so we only just we stopped at the 55 miles but um next year i think they'll change it up a, a little bit and that'll be that'll be a good option too but i don't i don't know of anything in washington or oregon you know that that has you pull a sled yeah there should be one in each of the like border states with canada that would be awesome yeah yeah. Uh, um, I do oh, want to hear. There is one in Winnipeg. Sorry, I forgot about Active Epica. Oh, nice. Okay. There Sorry, I'm writing them all down. I actually like just want to get a list from people I've mm. I've talked to. That's amazing. Okay, so, Kari, I want to hear this. Like, here's here's what I wanted you to fill in. Ready? You were born at one point, and then you ran the Iditarod. What got you to that point? <laughs> I was like, what got her to that point where you're like, I'm gonna go out and run the Iditarod now. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Mm. Well, I've been doing winter ultras for about five, six years now, only about okay. five or six years, which is like, a, you know, you do one year, you do one Tuscobia 80 miler and you're, you've had six life, you know, altering experiences in that 80 miles. So it doesn't take long to kind of get the hang of the sport, but um, 
you know, I was, I started, I didn't start running. I didn't really start running until I was 30, 30 years old. I'm 41. And I started to like, oh, I should run a marathon. And then I kind of ran some marathons and then I was like, oh, there's stuff that's longer, like more than a marathon. There's a 50 miler. Oh, there's a hundred miler. Oh, there's winter stuff. I mean, I just like, I gravitate towards longer, harder races, I think. Um, just looking back at stuff, but I just like to move my body. It feels good. I feel less anxious and more alive when I'm just a little bit tired. <laughs> just taking the edge off a little bit. Um, but yeah, I just, I think I gravitate and I'm, without knowing every detail about Ryan, I'm pretty sure that he gravitates towards just like the next hard thing, the longer distance, the tougher race as well. So yeah. Uh, is that a personality trait that we have, right? <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it all kind of started for me with the, with the Arrowhead. You know, I read a, I was just looking for races one day and I found the Arrowhead 135. And that was the year where like 12 people finished and it was brutal and no woman finished. And I thought, oh, I bet I could do that. That's amazing. Well, what are. gave you like <laughs> that confidence where you're like, I can do that when, you know, if, if some, if other people read that article or hear about, it, especially a winter ultra, they might be like, Oh, I don't, I just don't know if I can do that. But you know, you two are like a special breed. Like you just said, where it's like, you hear that and you're like, this is a challenge. Like I'm in. Yeah. Um, I think for better, or for worse. And if this is like too, too much information, but for better or for worse, my base, my comfort zone is a flight or fight. I do better when I put, I'm put in that scenario, I guess. And looking at races like this, I know I'm just going to do well if I feel like it's difficult. I'm on then. But if it's easy, which is why I always struggle with the last, you know, whatever few miles of any race, Marathon to Iditarod. As soon as I know it's in the bag, I completely shut off. That's always the hardest part for me is the end. Um, so I don't know. I just, I kind of look at those scenarios and think, oh yeah, I can, I, I can do that. And maybe it's an unwarranted, you know, self-confidence, <laughs> I guess. But, um, but it's just, I think it's a healthy place to put that kind of a personality as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, I'm sure I'll pay you money so I can be out there with my best, you know, with my best self. Fine. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I totally agree with the whole idea of like, I just want to be a little bit worn down <laughs> because it just makes everything else easier. And I don't fully, it's hard to really understand why that happens, but can do you, can you kind of like expand on that or Ryan, like, do you connect with that idea too? Or Yeah, I, I think the, the best times I, I've had is when, you know, you're, you're right on that line of, you know, I might be having really big problems if, if I don't keep this together. And, you, you know, I think that's when you feel like, like the most alive out there. Yeah. Um, we're definitely, I mean, we're definitely going out there searching, you know, searching for something and, you know, you have to do certain things, I guess, to really find it. It, it doesn't always just, you know, show itself to you, but, you know, when you get back and then there's the reflection in, in everything else, you know, you just, there's just a smile that comes, comes to your face and, and it's just like, 
you know, th that's why. And then people are like, well, why do you, why do you do that? And you're just like, uh, that's kind of my little personal thing, you, yeah. you know, it's like, you try to be like, oh, cause it's tough or, I, you know, I wanted to, I like it. You know. <laughs> it. I like it. <laughs> I always tell people, I'm like, man, I'm like a dad, a teacher, a husband, like I'm busy 24 seven with like 50,000 tasks. So I go out and do an ultra and I'm like, oh, I just have to keep like going that way. Like that's easy to me. Like that's an easier job than even just like the busyness of day to day. It is. It's, it's hard, but it's also the easiest thing that we do. And because I, I think it's going back to this natural human state of just sleeping, eating, moving, repeat. Yeah. yeah. Trying to watch out for moose. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, it's so it's, yeah, it's, it's weird to tell that to someone who's never done an ultra or just doesn't get it, but you're like, dude, if you do it though, you'll get it. It just simplifies mm -hmm. everything. And it's hard physically and mentally and emotionally sometimes, but like it simplifies your day and you're like, oh, this is kind of relaxing in a weird way. Yeah. No emails, just snacks. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. How did that first arrowhead go for you? Perfect. I mean, it was really hard. Um, we had mushy snow, but sorry. Oh yeah. You guys are probably experts on like snow feeling. <laughs> oh my gosh. The sound of snow when it's really hard. Uh, my heart just explodes thinking about it, but no, it went great. It was my rookie year. And actually I told, you know, you have to sign up for these, um, for Arrowhead, you have to sign an application like fill out an application. And they said, why should you be admitted into the Arrowhead? And I wrote, because I'm a hard ass. Like that was it. I had no other reason. <laughs> no, like, oh, I've been working towards this forever. Like I hadn't done anything. Like, but I knew I could do it. And so I thought that was kind of hilarious until I got to the start of the race and the race director, Ken, came over to me and he said, oh, so you're the hard ass. <laughs> Oh my gosh, no matter what happens, I cannot DNF this race. <laughs> like, I absolutely have to finish this thing. Um, and it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was definitely the opening the door, though, to the long, long stuff. Yeah. What, what's that trail like? I know you guys have both done it. Oh, it's great. It's northern Minnesota. You get some flat stuff, you get some hills. Um, no you start International Falls, right? Yep, we started in National Falls. So the good. whole thing is on a snowmobile trail um, that goes straight, more or less straight, to Tower, um, ends at a casino. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's deep woods, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And you can only you can only really traverse that whole trail in the winter because in the summer there's a lot of swamps. So unless you were out there, you could you could never experience that, and which also makes you know even the Iditarod trail is so cool because you can't do it in the summer. Um, yeah. It's, you know, you're underwater or, or crossing rivers or, or whatnot. So it, it gives, it, it shows you the landscape that you'd never be able to see. Yeah. I ne I never thought about that until you literally just said it, but you're so right. Cause I just remember last year, Ryan, following your blue dot, I brought it up for my class, my my students and I'm like he's doing the Iditarod and some of them had heard of the race obviously so they're like oh is you know with dogs and I'm like no like with his feet <laughs> and, 
and uh they couldn't comprehend it but i just remember seeing your blue dot go down that river for a long long time and i was like i but until you just said that i'm like oh yeah you couldn't do that trail that's crazy well tell me a little bit about tuscobia and then we'll get into i did around i just want to hear like what's that trail like like how does it compare to arrowhead 135 um is it similar like kind of a similar idea or it's you guys are both shaking your heads what's different about that one it's like that i don't know if it's the twilight zone where <laughs> you know like all the lights are coming and you only see like one dot like that trail is straight straight you know and so it's trees on a straight tr- trail i can remember like i was on the trail towards the finish and i could look behind me and i'm like oh this guy's catching me and like I've got a race for third to last place or something. And, <laughs> and then like, I finish and like, I turn around and like, I see his light and I'm like, okay. And then like 40 minutes later, the guy finally, you know, comes where I thought he was like two feet behind me, but you know, it's just straight. Flat straight. And it goes on forever and ever. There is something about that trail that just, keeps me coming back to it. Oh, I love Tuscobia. It's so beautiful. It's my favorite. It's perfect. And I get there. I'm like, why? Why do I like this thing? Yeah. Do you it's have you people, do you guys the people do that? and the race directors, I th- I think that's yeah. totally it that's is Tuscobia. Do you guys go to Park Falls and then back, right? We start in Rice Lake. Yeah. Okay. And go to Park Falls and turn around. And then turn around. That's so crazy. Cause I was, I was telling my dad, I don't know if he can wrap his head all the way around all the ultra running stuff. That's why I was like, you should go out there. Like go, it's like at some restaurant, right? Like honestly, yeah. like a half mile from his house where the turnaround is yeah. like, you just need to go out there and like help or see them and, and things like that. But, yeah. and if you want to see some glorious athletes, you know, you, you can go and see him 80 miles into a 160 mile race. That's <laughs> yeah. What, what do you do? Like, what do people like, what are some common, like, you know, obviously, you know, with ultra running, there's like foot blisters and things like that, but are there some like weird, unique ones just to these winter races? I mean, frostbite. Frostbite. <laughs> yeah. Frostbite. The one. <laughs> I've never had it. Ryan, have you? Be honest. No, no, either. I've had it in yeah. a race in Virginia, like an idiot. Cause I had a hole in my shoe, like a giant hole. Like I knew the hole was there and I ran a race in the snow and for like three hours, my foot was frozen. And then I came home and I'm like, Oh my God. And like my toes are black. And then they thawed and they're kind of fine. But I'm like, man, I'm an idiot then. Cause you guys are in like (laughs) negative 50 degrees or whatever, negative 30 degrees. And I'm freezing them in Virginia. That's nuts it's a frostbite unless you know there's always situations you know that i don't want trail karma to get me on this but um most of the time unless you're stuck on a mountain and you can't get down yeah. frostbite is very very preventable you know it's just self-care hydrating changing your socks making sure that your, your shoes don't have holes in them things like yeah. that yeah make sure <laughs> they don't have giant holes in them uh awesome well okay so let's get into that well first of all where did you did you guys meet in one of these races beforehand or did you meet at the iditarod this year no i mean we both did iditarod i would i mean and then the year before or last year i did the um gnarly bandit and her boyfriend was in that too but i think it we i think we might have met at zumbro four years ago 
Really? I I was trying to think of the the exact date. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, somewhere somewhere around three years, three to four years ago, I think is when we, at least we could say we're on the same trail together. Right. We first started really hanging out was um, maybe three years ago too, I guess. Uh, And seeing you guys at, you and Emily at Black Hills and um, yeah, Kettle and then Arrowhead. And the year I DNF the bike, you were out there with the raccoon hat. Yep. Yep. I love that raccoon hat. <laughs> I love <laughs> that raccoon hat. <laughs> Legend. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So when you both, w- did you both realize you had signed up for the Iditarod or was this something you guys kind of like talked about beforehand? Hmm. Um, year one, we didn't, we didn't talk about it, but mm-hmm. as soon as the entrance list came out, we knew yeah. I think this year we we chatted about you know we we I mean after year one we we knew we were going back I mean mm-hmm. every every time you go to Alaska a part of you just doesn't doesn't leave and you leave. you know you got to put yourself back together every once in a while so yeah totally uh, nice. and there was yeah we had some good conversations this year about what's you know what did you do last year that you're changing I remember reaching out and asking you about that because you know you can you're always adjusting your kit, your gear, your clothes. Um, <clears throat> so we had some good conversations about that. Yeah. Were, was there any big kind of changes that you made based on like the first year? The biggest one for me was changing my sled. Okay. I needed a different sled. Nice. It was awesome. It was a good choice. <laughs> what, what was your experience like the first year? Last year we did an, a, a podcast with Ryan and we heard about him sleeping next to wolves and all sorts of awesome stuff. Like what kind of stories came out of that first year for you, Kari? Um, last year was a good year. I, I definitely wasn't as trained up as I, as I was this year. Um, and we had some, you know, if you talk to Ryan, it was definite. The, the snow conditions were worse, you know, last year. It was sloppy snow um, kind of the whole time, I guess, until the last seven miles to the <laughs> to McGrath. But um, I, uh, at the, and at that point, I really struggled in, in kind of punchy snow. So it was tough, um, but I actually had a great time the whole time yeah. until the very last, like the last 20 miles. And I remember thinking like, I've never had a low this whole time. And I was kind of just like walking along, sleeping at checkpoints, just enjoying myself, eating a ton of food. And I, I remember thinking, I haven't had one mental breakdown. Like I better get my money's worth from this thing. Like I want at least one crisis. <laughs> and then I did, I did like <laughs> mile, just a few miles later. Um, and then I had to kind of cl- crawl into, uh, into McGrath, but um, it was beautiful and and ryan said it like you have this experience out there and you just don't leave you know my heart was there every day this year um it was just perfect even in its difficult times it's just beautiful and you're out there and it you know it's negative you know the last four nights i was out there it was negative 40 every night and i was comfortable and surviving and thriving um it's just a very cool place to be yeah how literally do, <laughs> how do you um well i want to hear like so you you have a great time the whole entire race and you're in like a super positive mood and stuff but then you end the race on this like downer yeah. like 
did that affect, like, I don't know, did it take you like a couple of days or like a few hours to really be like, no, I had a great time that whole race. Like I have to forget about that last 20 miles. Um, that last 20 miles is what I think about first okay. above all things. But because I was really, because if I hadn't had that experience, I wouldn't be where I am today, period. Like yeah. I learned so much. There was a huge character flaw um, <laughs> that was kind of preventing me from having a good time out there um, and being strong. And, you know, that's why we like to go out there and push ourselves is to find these things that we want to change and be better at. And um, so I, even in the hard parts, there's, it's never bad, you know, it's, it can be, you know, I could be in an emotional crisis, but it's still, it's still going to give back to me positively for the rest of my life. You know, if you, if you yeah. use it for good <laughs> versus evil. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, and it's all about that, like processing, you know, for me anyway, I'm always like the next month is that weird experience where you're kind of in a funk. Cause now this thing you've trained for, for a long time is not there anymore, but with through that funk you are also like processing like what you went through and it's just a really weird interesting month for me always after like a big goal you know yeah, yeah. i mean the processing time is so important and i was chatting yesterday the i i didn't really have a negative experience this year but every yeah. day since i got home i've had trail nightmares really every night and so obviously there's something like I need to like pick out and process some stuff because I feel like I'm still, something still has to be figured out, but I don't know. Are you having like, are you done with the night terrors, night sweats and nightmares, Ryan? <laughs> no, I like, I think about it. I, well, I think about it all the time, but I, I, the best thing I can relate is to those movies of these treasure hunters where they just become obsessed with finding this treasure and I would say that's the scariest part for me is, I mean, I wake up thinking about it. I think about it at lunch. I think about it when I go to bed, you know, in the middle of the night, I, you, you know, I, I know I'm thinking about it and, um, you know, to almost a, a point of obsession where you just like, you don't want to tell anyone you're thinking about it because you're thinking about <laughs> it so much. And it's just, you know, those memes of like the man and the woman cuddling and the woman goes, I wonder what he's thinking about right now. And, and then guys like, oh, the Iditarod. Iditarod. You know? um, <laughs> so like it, I, it brings, I mean, anytime I, I go into it, you know, it brings tears to my eyes to, to talk about it, to think about it, to, to, to do all that. And it's just like when people ask you, it's like, you know, this is so special. And they're like, oh, that's, that's nice. It's so special. And you're just like, no, you don't know how special, special. it is. It's special. It's special. And you're like, yeah, I get it. And you're like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> So that's you're um, like I had a spiritual experience out there, like yeah. it's, it's hard to describe that. Yeah, like, so oh, I don't. That's nice. I don't know when it's gonna stop. Yeah. But you have to be obsessed with it in order to go out there and spend the time and the training and the money and just just to get there. And then the only thing you have to do is walk for 350 miles. You know, you have to be obsessed with it. Yeah. Otherwise, I think you could be a liability, you know, oh, I forgot to bring, you know, <laughs> what, socks or something. <laughs> so, I, but I think a little obsession or a lot of obsession is really healthy. And, and I can say that because I'm a doctor. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's so interesting. So when you're saying night terrors, like what what are you like when you're go like when you're sleeping and you're thinking about the Iditarod, like what kind of stuff are you thinking about? It's the same thing, and it's always just that last desperate push to the finish. Yeah. Just trying to finish in time. Wow. And I had plenty of time and nothing was was wrong. Like there like I had a you know, plenty of time last year, plenty of time this year, but I think that my heart's still out there, um, for sure. And just trying to catch up maybe to my body. (laughs) Wow. That's super interesting. Well, I want to hear about the race, uh, this year, because obviously it went very well for you, Kari. Congratulations, Ryan. Congratulations. I should have started the podcast with that. I'm terrible host. Let me say this. (laughs) I was just talking, I was picking up my daughter from school and I was talking to a couple of dads there because we always pick up our kids. And I was like, yeah, like I'm super excited. I get to talk to these two people who just finished the Iditarod on foot. Like, and then it's just my, you tell people that, I mean, I'm sure you guys tell people that cause you actually did it, but they just, it's hard for them to comprehend what that means. Um, but I have to say this, one of the dads was like, dude, you have to tell them about this. The last couple of years, me and my coworkers have done a fantasy Iditarod where they, and it's all the mushers, of course, mm-hmm. but he's like, we'll pick the mushers. And he's like, and you got to have a beard. You have to have like a giant mountain man beard. Cause he's like, I'll look through their pictures and be like, who did, who's going to win. And they do Which, a fantasy draft for the Iditarod. Anyways, that blew my mind. They had a fantasy draft this year for the foot and bike and ski race. They're going to be so happy. Cause they literally <laughs> like, are they, do they do it for the run? I'm like, yeah, I think, I mean, maybe. <laughs> this was the first year they did it, right, Ryan? Yep, yep. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> this is the only fantasy anything I've ever done. It was great. <laughs> did anyone pick you guys and then reach out later and be like, hey, oh, you yeah. injured? Like trying to get the inside scoop? <laughs> no, I'm always, I'm always really cheap to pick um, because I, I've, I never win anything. Next year, Kari will be really expensive. Too expensive, sorry. Oh. <laughs> That is crazy. I didn't know if you guys were aware of that. I thought I was going to blow your guys' minds, but you already knew. I had a fantasy team, and I didn't pick myself. I was like, oh. (laughs) I don't know what that says. Well, the the people watching or following along is amazing. I got messages from, you know, someone that uh, babysat me when I was five or six years old. You know, they wrote a handwritten letter, sent it to my parents' house, who forwarded along. Just today, um, my neighbor... I'm in Sturgis and the neighbor came over and congratulated me. And while he was doing that, the two gutter, two guys across this um, alleyway were putting on gutters and they're like, Oh, you're the guy from Sturgis that walked the, uh, or ran the Iditarod they said. And they both were telling me all these stories from their trips to Alaska. And the one guy's going on 31 years of marriage and that's where they went for their honeymoon. Wow. And it's, you know, that all stemmed from uh, someone local just putting it out there, you know, so People are pretty into it. And this time of year, there's not a ton going on. So, yeah, dude, that's so that's cool. cool. Is there any, like, do you even think about that on the trail at all or not really? Not no. really. 
like you're like people are tracking me right now somehow <laughs> i just know if i don't move my wife will get nervous so. <laughs> that's awesome i heard uh i did that stage race i think i was talking about ryan um and they had like trackers on us and stuff and my father-in-law was like dude i had two computers up i had like your tracker <laughs> and then google earth and i was like zooming in on google earth i'm like wow that makes me that's so cool man that's intense. <laughs> yeah i was yeah. like that's really cool um but okay yeah that's i just had to tell you that before i hear about the race but uh all right so you go back out this year um what was different about this year um versus last year like was there was the environmental factors different you know, amount of people, like how was it a different experience for you guys? It was definitely less people. I think there were maybe, were there 50 people or 54 people, Ryan? Something yeah, like right. That. 52, I think started. Okay. And usually, or not usually, but maybe it was last year, it was 150. Am I, oh, wow. is that, is that right? Sounds a lot, but I have, I have no to, idea. <laughs> I have to fact check that. Don't fact check that people. <laughs> Um, it was definitely fewer people, just restrictions on travel, um, yeah. international travel as well. So, um, yeah, and it being an out and back was a huge difference. So in order to protect these remote villages from, us, you know, COVID and us being, you know, per, and there was a ton of precaution behind it, but, you know, yeah. we didn't want to be a super spreader event yeah. in Alaska. So um, we didn't go that straight shot up um, to McGrath, but we did a turnaround. Um, so you kind of went out, went over the pass, over Rainy Pass, went to the Rhone checkpoint and then turned around and came back. And um, so that was very different. Um, I think we saw more people, even mm. though there was a smaller, um, a smaller field, I definitely saw a lot more people than I did last year, which was really fun. Um, there was plenty of belly laughs, Ryan involved in that as well. Um, just a ton of like hanging out at checkpoints <laughs> in between, in between the long haul. But, um, and then I think the conditions were really good this year, right? Yeah. I mean, the snow was perfect, except for that one overland part which I like to complain about a little bit, but Ooh, it wasn't I want to hear it. <laughs> the whole course last year, it was just like a little bit of punchiness, but everything else was that squeaky, you know, you get that high pitch squeak, squeak, squeak. Oh, it's so good. It was fantastic. It was really easy to cruise quickly in conditions like that. You, you guys should do a podcast just called snow runners and then just describe <laughs> different snow. That would be amazing. I went, uh, there was, it snowed here one time and it snowed probably like, not that much compared to Alaska, but like 10 inches, I want to say like a decent amount. And it was so fluffy though. I went running. I'm like, it doesn't feel like I'm running in snow. This is so weird. Anyways, that's all. That. Just like our podcast. <laughs> and then like, what does it smell like? Oh, it smells like negative 20. Hmm. Temperatures <laughs> dropping. Tastes like. Yeah. What, what was, so you had to go over the mountain pass, that big pass twice. What was that like? Like you get over it and then you're like, okay, time to turn around, going back over it. Kind of. And I got to, I got to go over both times with Ryan, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the first, yeah, no, go ahead. I was gonna say the the first time, um, you know, it might look like our dots were with each other the whole time, but our actual just like trail miles of being within talking distance. I don't even know if it was five miles, but we were always 
fairly close, seesawing. Um, so we both had arrived at the Rainy Pass Lodge within like half hour, hour or something. And um, when you get there, everyone's like, so what are you doing? You know, because mm-hmm. no one really, the new, and no one new wants to go over by themselves. Anyone mm-hmm. that's already been there and done it still doesn't want to go or start to go over by themselves, you know? So we came up with this plan that we're going to leave at like 5.30. That would get us over to Roan and a nap. And then at least coming back, we do a lot of the gorge and the light. Well, none of that was true, but um, so we set out, we set out to do that. And, you know, we quickly got, there was space in between us. I think Eric left or Eric was in the lead. I think it was me, um, Kari, and then a rookie guy behind him. Um, and so we, we get there and it's a, it's a long, long slog and, the closer we got, the windier it got, the snowier it got. So now we're in kind of a whiteout, but the trail was still good. It wasn't super cold, so you weren't nervous, but it you, you couldn't see anything. Um, I remember going going up and over, went tried to take picture at the sign, but it was snow was blowing too much. My camera was just a blur, and I looked back and I saw Kari's light behind me. I thought 15, 20 minutes tops but it was quite a bit off of the path I took. So I just went over the top, maybe four or 500 yards. And I got into the, for some reason, it was kind of like a dead zone where it wasn't that windy. It wasn't that snowy. So I just kind of waited for a few minutes just to see her light. Well, she kind of came around an area. I didn't think she would, but she comes up to me and I'm like, you okay? And she's like, yeah, you okay? And then just like keeps going, you know, I was like, I don't know what I was worried about, but, um, I was off trail. (laughs) trail. What, uh, like, are you guys looking at like a GPS or something? Is that how you track it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've got Gaia on my phone or whatever that's pronounced a GPS around my neck. And then I have a route on my watch, but that's all suggested route, you know, you, there could be a tree down and the snowmobile route could take a different ways. And next thing you know, you're 200 yards off or you don't know, but if you're somewhat close to the route, you're feeling pretty good, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. Besides just the elements, is it kind of like a sketchy pass? Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. It can That's be. So- and they, they don't recommend going over at night. Um, and now I can say I've gone over the past three times and it's yeah. been night every time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But um, the conditions can change. Um, and for us, and the reason why I kind of got off um, of the trail, the snowmobile trail, uh, is the wind was so intense and it was snowing that it just would blow the trail out. So Brian was not that far ahead of me, but his footprints were gone you know by the time I got there so it was it was kicking pretty hard um especially towards the top yeah and then yeah it did kind of get a little bit easier at the end but yeah that's so crazy one going out and back you are probably seeing a lot more people right Mm -hmm. that's what you guys said (laughs) (laughs) just you guys were you the only people like around you at that point yeah Eric was long gone, I think. And then, yeah, I think Eric was probably a couple miles in front of us. Um, The uh, what's, what's the guy's name? Um, The 
funny sled guy. Um, it starts with an A, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't remember. He he really didn't get any sleep at Rainy Pass, but still wanted to go. So he ended up stopping, and um, he actually bivvied fairly close to the summit, which is not recommended, but in his case, it worked. But he also could have woken up to three feet of fresh snow, and it's still snowing, and he wouldn't have been able to, to move, you know. So, um, but, it, but it, for him, it worked out. And um, Funny slug guy, yeah, pulling it guy. off. <laughs> yep. And I will say um, without, and you know, if I don't want to leave out the gorge at all, but I will say on the way back, um, Ryan and I walked up and over and we were closer together on the way back over the pass. And it was in the middle of the night and it was very windy and it was snowy. And at some point there was a athlete that I really respect um, was kind of talking about us going up over, like watching our dots saying, they should not be doing that. You know, they're, it's dangerous and the conditions can change, et cetera. And then you could just like cut to rainy pass and Ryan and I are riding our sleds down side, <laughs> going 15 miles an hour or something, at you know, least, yeah. at least um, just like riding our sleds, like, woo, Alaska. It was fun and very dangerous yes. and super fun. That sounds amazing. That sounds like a great <laughs> moment in the race. Oh, totally. <laughs> and probably, I don't know, four or five hours before we went over the pass the first time down into Rhone, a bison hunters had come through in their snowmobiles with big sleds. And there was some natural like ice dams over the river. And once they went through, they blew those out. So there was, um, you know, the river was a little bit and I don't mean river, river, probably if you fell in maybe the deepest, it was your knees or something, but yeah. you, no one still wanted to get wet. And, you know, there was some ice shelves, you know, that you kind of jumped and then quick yank your sled over and, uh, and some stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's, it's like this. So you're going back and forth the whole, whole time. Your sled is trying to run you over. It's, uh, People like it because they say it's the tough part, but it's not the funnest part. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you guys just feel like the biggest adventurers ever when you're out there? Sure. <laughs> I, I know I'm on an adventure. Yeah. Do you kind of like almost like compartmentalize what you're doing and you're just like, oh, I just have to, I have to keep going. I'll think about all this stuff later. Like when you mentioned, Kari, that you were, um, you know, kind of having the trail dreams right now. Do you think that's like in the moment you're like, I can't even really fully comprehend this or it might be overwhelming. So now you're actually thinking like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I did that. Like, oh, that was so scary. Or yeah, or <laughs> yeah you know? exactly. But at the time, you know, it all feels so natural. And, you know, there is, but at the end of the day, we are in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And there's no designated trail and weather and can happen. Snow can happen. Accidents can happen. Um, maybe I should feel more fear when I'm out there, but I certainly don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I've felt scared I should maybe Ryan back me up no, on this. I, that, that is the best way you could put it is when I get back and people are like, Oh, we were worried about, you know, I'd be like, like, I got it. I, I got this. There's never a time out there where I was like, you know, they're like, Oh, what if you got lost? I was like, 
how could how could I get lost? You know, I'm, <laughs> I got this little go thing. Where I came from, or this, or that, or you know, oh, what about the river? And it's just like, well, I've got a plan if I get wet, or yeah, or this. Yeah. And you're just like you, you, you're kind of people are overreacting to. It's you know, I, I want to be like it's not that dangerous, it's not that hard, but like it is hard and it is dangerous. But when you're <laughs> when you're there it doesn't seem like any, it doesn't seem like any big deal. It seems like walking yeah. to the corner to get by a soda. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have to imagine <laughs> it's because you've that. spent the hours mentally prepping and the person talking to you, you know, hasn't spent that time. So they're like, Oh my God, you could have fallen in a river. And you're like, yeah, I thought about that for hours and hours beforehand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the last year I thought about that. Yeah. You know? And now it's just like, you see the little river and it's like, just, just don't get your feet wet. <laughs> no, that's it. <laughs> that's amazing. Was there any, uh, I know last year we talked about like moose being a, an issue because the snow is so deep and, you know, they were kind of using the same trail as you guys. Like, did you find that to be an issue this year or? No, I think um, somebody said the, uh, because of the snow and how rough of a winter it was for the moose at like 60 or 70% of the herd was lost last year. So, um, and I just, I'm, it's not funny. It's very dangerous. Moose are very dangerous, but I was remembering when we were, when I was walking behind you, Ryan, and I'm just like in my, you know, zone, just thinking about snow and you're whistling. And I'm like, why are you whistling? You know, and there were the, you saw moose tracks so that you were just kind of letting them know that we were there. Um, and I will say the only, animal encounter I had was after you scared uh, Tom again and he flew into my face like that was that was awesome it was snowing so hard these birds that are like grouse Uh just laid down in the snow and the snow would pile up on them so as we get closer they pop their head up out of the snow and look around (laughs) and when I got close to one I waved at it and my light blinded it so it flew right over my shoulder and right into Kari's face and I hear her <laughs> scream and but it, but it was so neat. It's these all white birds and all of a sudden yeah. they were popping and exploding out of the snow and flying oh. off into the darkness. You know, it, it was, it was amazing. Like you couldn't put a price tag on that. And then when I was whistling for the mooses, it was also snowing so hard. The whole trail was covered with snows and we knew someone probably had been through in the last couple hours. So when the moose tracks came out on the trail, they looked they looked like five minute old tracks, you know? So yeah. I was, I just was making some noise thinking like it is what it is, but it, mm-hmm. you know, if maybe if I make a little noise, they'll just walk off or at least they'll know I'm there. And you know, I had this vision of one just with his butt to the trail and I come up and he kicks me, you know, and I was like, <laughs> I want to get that happen. Yeah. You always want to give them a minute to figure out that you're there so that we don't scare them. And yeah. Yeah. That's I've, I've heard a lot of stories on this podcast of like animal encounters and no one has ever been attacked by a ptarmigan before. Yeah. So that's the first. All I saw was this white belly with his little feet and my <laughs> life flashed before my eyes. That was it. Man, I've been scared on the trail. Like if you're at like, you know, before the sun's up and stuff and like a mouse goes running by and you're like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> and the other day I was running and this lady, well, I didn't know. I just saw eyes coming at me. And I was like, oh, is this a coyote? Is it a mountain lion? Like, what is it? And then I got out my phone. I was like flashlighting it. Like I was about to start making noise, you know? 
and then it was some lady walking her dog and i felt like <laughs> an idiot of all time no that's wild oh uh what's like okay so you're getting towards the end and kari you ended up winning it correct yes that's amazing oh i'll just interject here i didn't i didn't put the pieces together until i think we were going down the gorge the first time after we went over the summit we'd caught up to each other and I, I looked at her and I just said, God, we, we haven't passed any women. And I just looked at her and I was like, I think you're in first place. And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was just like, like, I was like, oh, you know, game on. She's, she, she's like going for it, you know? So. <laughs> yeah, Do you have I de- that competitive streak? No, <laughs> no, not at all. I, I would just let somebody like, oh, no, you go. It's cool. You go. I'll I'll be second. I'm fine. You know, um, it was winning this race was on my list of things I wanted to do. Just because I just like doing my first Arrowhead, I knew I could do it. Yeah. If I just tried a little bit, tried a lot, um, didn't make any mistakes, and kind of tried to pull out some sort of a competitive spirit in there somewhere. You know, I'm I'm really out there. You know, just to have a good time and have an adventure um, and yeah, not make any mistakes and not lose my fingers and toes. So I knew I was in the lead and the, um, before I was in Finger Lake or when I got to Finger Lake um, the first time. And from then on, it was just a conversation of just don't change your plan. Like your plan is this. And if you want, you know, work hard, like Emily, do work, you know, (laughs) try, but don't go stupid crazy and try to do something, you know, beyond what I'm capable of and then get myself into trouble out there. So um, I I like to think that with these races, you know, we're all one mistake away from a DNF. Mm. That's it. All it takes is one stupid mistake and it could be over. So it was just like, don't make any mistakes. I wanted to get a marathon distance between me and the last woman that was in the race. I thought I'm going to power fade at the end, you know, just going to go off the wheels like I always do. And I wanted there to be enough space between us that I could do that and not, you know, trip at the finish line, as I like to say. So, um, and I did have that for much of the race, I think, um, after, after Finger Lake. So that felt really good, but um, and actually, at the end of the day, there were no other women that finished, unfortunately, which I, I don't like that. You know, I, I always like to, to see women go out there and succeed in the way that they want to. But um, so I did get first place and last place. Hey, that's a special award there. <laughs> <laughs> what did it feel like to like execute on a plan? Like really perfect, like maybe not perfected. I'm sure yeah. that's probably not the best way to say it, but like to execute and be like, oh, I did that plan as best as I could. Yeah. I used to think that if I was competitive, it would take away this experience. You know, I wanted to go out there and be one with nature. And this is my one time to not have a phone on and emails and texts and Facebook. And I thought if I executed a plan like that, that I would, they would ruin that. It would ruin my experience. Um, And so for the first time ever though, I was like, going into this, trying to be a little competitive and 
Um, and I say that little, like there were, I have three goals and that was the third one. That was the bottom of the list. Yeah. <laughs> but I went into this race with a pace chart on what, um, what checkpoints I wanted to be on on these certain days. And what ended up happening is because I had already done the calculation and already done the math and it was on a little slip of paper that was in my pocket, I never had to make any other decisions other than that. I never had to think about what day it was or what time it was or what, what mile I was at or where I should be on this certain time or day. Um, I just checked the boxes off. And it ended up being a really relaxing, really relaxing, really enjoyable <laughs> experience. So that was kind of opposite of what I thought it was going to be. It was kind of fun. Yeah. I love that idea of like eliminating your decisions there. Right. All you got to do is just stay awake and walk and eat and eat some food. <laughs> all good. <laughs> all good. Uh, Ryan, what did it feel like for you to finish your second year? Um. I mean, I mean, great. Uh, it, uh, I didn't, I didn't have the the pace chart or this or that. <laughs> I, I, I just, I hate making a plan and then getting off it and then you're mm. you're scrambling. I see this that year. too. That is like uh-huh. the counterpoint to that, right? Like if yes. you have a plan and then now you're not doing it and you're like, oh shit. And then it's just stress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stress. This year, the beginning of the race was so different. And the fact that the first, I don't know if it was 30-ish miles, had never been done before. So it was a little helter-skelter as far as, normally you have race veterans that, you know, people rely on to lead everybody else through the beginning part and kind of get you on your track till you get settled in. And this year, you know, there was, it was just different. So it was, it was different. And um, that, that. I had no idea how to prepare for that and I didn't prepare for it as well as I should have. Um, But that being said, it made me a lot tougher to, you know, 30 miles into the race to be like, I just went through that and I'm, I'm still good. You you know, I remember at one point um, before I finally dropped on the um, Yetna river, uh, a guy came by in a snow snowmobile and I was just like, is there anybody else still out here? Am I in last place? You know? And he's like, no, you're doing great. And I was like, huh, I haven't seen anybody, you know, <laughs> cool. like, I'd, I'd like seen two people, but um, yeah. for the longest time I didn't seen anybody. And I was like, I don't know. Like, did they find a shortcut? Cause it's, you just have to make it to a point. You don't, it doesn't matter how you get there. Yeah. And at some point you see lights over here and lights over there. And you know, at one point we had lights coming at us and they're like, are you, are you coming from the checkpoint? And they're like, no, we're going to it. And you're like, are we going the wrong way? And they're like, yeah, who, which know. one of us is going the wrong way like, now? We don't know. So, um, you know, so that's it. And you look back at it and you laugh, but at the time you're just like, you know, this is night one, you know, we're only eight hours into this race, yeah. but it, in tr- it truly does make you a stronger person and sets you up for, um, for, for everything else. There's just, it just is what it is. And that's the, the toughest part. And, you know, you talk to your mom and she's like, well, I should mark the course for you. And you're like, yeah, no, mom, that's not how this, this isn't what we signed up for. And they're like, well, I just think that's silly that they're not marking the course. And you're just like, <laughs> so. it's just, they, they wouldn't mark the course just for the sake of saying we don't mark the course. Not yeah. with all, all else aside. It's like, it's not a logistical thing. It's a choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But moms are going to mom, you know? Mm-hmm. 
kind of what I've, I've realized through this. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So once you like, just really quick, can you guys walk me through just you finish and then what's kind of like, what's your post, what's the post race like, especially on this weird year where, you know, you talked about last year, you're like, you finish and then you're waiting to be picked up. Uh, this year is not like that at all. So like, what, what was that like this year? Um, it was kind of nice, I guess, being next to, I mean, not next to, we were an hour and a half away from Anchorage. It was kind of nice just being able to climb in the van and go Yeah. instead of trying to, you know, I was, I finished later than Ryan did last year. And at that point, COVID happened, yeah. you know, yeah. like <laughs> we started the race and it wasn't happening and we finished the race and now it's happening. So and so crazy. it was a real struggle to get out of McGrath. Yeah. Um, so this year it was just kind of easy, I guess, in that yeah. sense. But last year were you like, I guess I'm gonna live in McGrath for a while. For ever? Like how <laughs> long am I allowed to stay in this house? And will you run out of food? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy last year. I mean, I you know, you hear about you know, you guys kind of had an idea of what was going down during the race, but I, I heard a story of like people who went and rafted the Grand Canyon during march last year and you know they're in the grand canyon there's no service no outside communication and they get out and then they go to a gas station the gas station is like you guys need masks and they're like for what what what? (laughs) (laughs) this is crazy uh wow that's that's awesome um cool guys well yeah any like big lesson like i guess we could wrap it up with this like was there any like big takeaway from this race this year specifically that you you're going home with that you may not have had before that was a deep question we're gonna end on a really deep question well i okay i'm gonna give ryan a second to think about the deep question but i also have a question for ryan okay so this year it was 50 more miles did you feel that what did that you know what i mean like i i I don't think i felt it i think if it would have been 50 miles or 100 miles, you know, the last 20 miles are always tough no matter, no matter what. And, you know, we were, in, we were in such a good rhythm, you know, throughout, throughout the race. And, it, and, and I, never, I, never was, I never counted down the miles. You know, I was never like only 100 to go, only 50 to go, only, only this. It was how many to the next checkpoint? How many to the next checkpoint? And, I mean, I keep saying it. This was my vacation yeah. You know, it was, I was out there to have fun, to enjoy it, to have a good time. And I, I was on vacation. So it wasn't like, you know, I was in day four of vacation being like only four more days of vacation. left. Right. <laughs> you, you know, I was just taking it in and, and enjoying it. And onto the deeper question, if I answer them both at the same time, um, you know, when, when Kari says, you know, you know, she was the only female on foot to, to finish this race, you know, it really, it really put it into perspective. I think she's tough as can be, you know, all that. But I also think like, you know, how do we get, and not that she's not doing it, but how do we get Kari to, to bring more women with her and to show more women that, yeah, it is tough, but these, these women so do normal. as, as tough of things as, as anybody, anybody else. Um, you know, the bike gets a, f- a few more women and this year, um, the ski had, um, 
you know, a, a, a woman doing it. And it's just, so I, I, I put a lot more thought into, into it is like, this isn't a boys, a boys club or a men's locker room club or anything like that. How do we, how do we bring more of whoever, you know, has this, this thirst for journey and adventure? How do we make sure that they know it's possible? And um, I mean, I don't want to say safe, but you know, accept it. There'll be accepted by everyone, no matter, no matter what. Um, we get some really good foreigners in, you know, Italians, we had an Indonesian, some Japanese, but we, we, I've only been in it a couple of years, but I don't know how many just minorities mm -hmm. athletes, you know, necessarily participate. So I spent a little bit more time, you know, thinking of, of that, like, who do I know that I can like really prod, you know, to try to break down some, some more barriers as far mm -hmm. as that adventure sense goes. And yeah. And, and, and how to, how to bring it because, um, I mean, Kari, Kari proved that, you know, you can go out there and kick, kick butt, um, and, and, and just do it, you know, and uh, Jill Homer, she's, she's been, she's been on that trail kicking butt that when she walks into REI and you see her, you're like, you, you know, she knows, <laughs> she's a celebrity. She knows stuff I don't know. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, you're so awesome, Ryan. I love that. Um, so this is, uh, and to, and to kind of feed off that, um, I will say we have a, a women's winter ultra group, which is a small, you know, a small group of people, um, called wild winter women on Facebook. So if there's any ladies out there, um, trans non-binary, um, and you want to like, you want to know, even if you want, if you're curious about doing a winter ultra and what it takes, join the group, please. Um, there are mentors, mentees, we've got um, rookies, we've got veterans like yeah. Jill Homer's, one of our members, you know, and, and people discuss a like, gear and then she'll pop something on. It's like, oh my God, I need to like <laughs> screenshot her advice. Um, there's, uh, we, we work deeply um, in the mentorship um, field with that. Uh, it's expensive and I think money is really stupid reason to not go out and be on and test yourself and go on an adventure and see what you can do and 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 get away from your life and have that vacation time so yes. very baby tiny baby bird um in my hand right now uh but i'm going to be working on for our wild winter women a scholarship like a scholarship to get into a winter um ultra race for somebody who needs it i'm working on the details but um, um please let me know when you do that i would love to uh, put that out there yeah i will let you guys know i mean it's you know there's so much involved in and winter ultras it's the great equalizer you know but there are and there are some things that it's harder for guys you know to deal with out there and there's also things that are harder for women to deal with um and i think a lot of it is like prep and training and getting there you know once they're out there you just yeah. let them run free yeah. <laughs> They'll um but uh so having you know the community support is huge um and you know we started our the wild winter women group started five or six years ago with five of us and we have like 200 members right now so it's pretty yes. like it seems i know it seems like a small number but it's a lot like winter ultra is just pretty specific <laughs> sport but um 
but yeah, just getting more, more ladies out there would be just amazing. And, and they have been, as you've probably seen Ryan more and more every year, but it's, um, it's a slow process. When you guys just said the St. Croix 40 is like a really good entry level, uh, like way to just dip your toe into the winter ultras. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just, and it, and it hits all the points all the fear points, I think, you know, <laughs> how do I like, how am I supposed to go all night long? Well, it's yeah. like the, the, the St. Croix 40 is overnight. Like it doesn't start until like seven or something oh, no way. and you go all night. So, and then you do gear tests. So it is hitting these points that you start in your sleeping bag. You start the in your sleeping bag. Everyone in their sleeping <laughs> bag, you wake up, you have to boil water and then you can go. The only yeah. bad part about the St. Croix 40 is it sells out now in the yeah. first yeah. half hour. Oh yeah. really? Oh well, I you just sold me on it. I just I wrote on my notes like add that to your list. Add Saint add Croix forty. Saint Croix forty. It's awesome, and apparently the park is really beautiful. But we were always there at night, so we don't. See it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've been there actually during the day. It was beautiful. Um, where where else can people kind of follow along? I'll share the uh, Wild Winter Women group on Facebook for sure. Um, so definitely check that out, but where else can they kind of like follow along your guys' journey? Um, oh, I was going to mention Arrowhead dream team, but that's probably different, right. (laughs) Than what you're asking for, but Uh, um, mention whatever you want. Yeah. I'll add anything you guys want to the show notes. Yeah. I, I, I guess I don't, I, I don't really have like a follow blogger or or anything like that. Look for the um, raccoon hat. At the race, yeah, yeah. I would say if you do any races in the Midwest or or whatnot, we'll probably bump into each other. But that being said, um, shoot shoot me a message, whether it's a Facebook or I'm not hard to to find. You can find some way to get a hold of me. And I've my first Arrowhead, I called ten people, and they all answered their phone and gave me yeah. hours of their time. My first Iditarod. I called 15 people and they all answered their phone and all gave me hours of their, their time. Um, I've been, I've been saying this forever. Ultra runners love to talk about themselves. They love to tell you how good they are and awesome. So call any one of them, <laughs> any one of them a message and they will literally like lay it out. And um, Hey man, why do you think I started this podcast? I'm like done, dude. We already, we're good. We're good to go. <laughs> You got to get your desert rats um, trophy in your background like Kari does. Oh, I know. I know. I got this. I I looked at her arrowheads. I don't know if she can grab one, but these are one of the most coveted prizes. I shouldn't even say prizes because it's not like it's gifted to you. The most coveted things you could earn in the the world. Um, They're it is I I do call them prizes, actually. I'm like, this is my prize room. And it's like a shell. But like... You get to like Ken and Jackie, they made a really beautiful race, but look, it's like, a, and it's, it's got a little plaque on there and it's heavy too, which I think is very important. You know, some weight yeah. to it. Oh, you gotta have, if it's too light, you're like, I don't even know. I don't even know what this is. So Kari's got three of them. I've only got two and my wife took one off and then like moved it downstairs. I was like, I came home. And I'm like, where First is the arrowhead trophy? And she's like, it's right there. And I go, my other arrowhead trophy. And she's like, we already got that one. I'm like, no, they need to be together, and you need to be they, able to they, have them out stay, all the time, yep. all the time. That's winter amazing. every day. <laughs> That's so amazing. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I I just really enjoyed it. I love hearing about the I did rod and 
you know, you guys are selling me on a winner race. So we'll see. We got another one, Ryan. Oh, oh man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyways, Ryan, Kari, thank you for coming on. We'll have to catch up with you guys again. Year three, year three, question mark. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right, Ryan? Thinking but, about right? it, yeah. He's, We're he's thinking hooked. about it. Okay. He's hooked. You guys are hooked. I feel like you're going to be there for the next like 40 years up there. I, I'd like to, I'd like to say that, you, you know, but you, you also think about it, you know, there, there is a little bit of time constraint, a little bit of money yes. constraint. And then a lot of it's, you know, the, your, your family, you know, yeah. it's not like my wife would never be like, no, don't, but things might come up or health of stuff. Cause you could be gone a long time. You know, yeah. there's all these things to think about it. And what I would say is, you know, if you had to miss a year, it's not the end of the world that that trail will be there. There's, yeah. I think there was a, the oldest guy was like 71 this year. Um, yeah. You know, one guy had done it. I think this was his ninth finish, um, Eric wow. Johnson. So yeah. um, that, that trail will always be there, but I mean, I'll always be thinking about it and as many times as I can put my feet on it. I, wow. I'm, I'm there. Yeah. It's amazing. I love how you said that. That's awesome. Awesome guys. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll catch back up with you at some point. Absolutely. Thank you. For having Thanks Chris. Having <laughs> All right. That wraps up number 252. Huge thanks to Kari. Huge thanks to Ryan. You guys are incredible. The fact that you have uh, put in miles and miles and miles in Alaska or through Alaska in the winter on the Iditarod trail is something I will always geek out about um, the fact that you can do fantasy Iditarod picks is amazing. And I have to say next year, Hey guys around the Iditarod time with it, which I believe is like sometime either end of February or beginning of March, like go on whatever Iditarod fa- fantasy Iditarod picks and, uh, Pick Ryan, pick Kari. They're gonna they're gonna like get your team some points for sure. I don't I don't, I don't even know how fantasy football works, so <laughs> I'm I'm definitely not sure how fantasy Iditarod works. But I'll tell you this: I'm for sure picking Kari and Ryan next year. Um, so if if they do the Iditarod, I guess I should say, like I was really I was confident there with my picks, but if they do it, I'm in for sure. Um, uh, anyways, guys, I wanted to, I was thinking about this today. Um, cause I was thinking about obviously the stage race that I've been obsessing about really over the last bit of time. Um, but I was also thinking about something like the Iditarod, right? What is this thing that brings this community of people together? Um, and we just saw if you followed the Coca Dona, 250 at a, at a friend in that we had a couple of people on the pot who have been on the podcast before. Um, and every day I was up, like just updating the links, like looking for Thomas Mullins, you know, uh, my buddy. Um, and I was like, this probably happens in this race too. What happens in these major adventures that bring people together? Um, obviously there's a lot, but I think I've started kind of figuring out this one idea that I kind of got in my head and here's what it is. I think when you show up for a major event like this, that's going to break you. It's going to be like Ivan Drago of races, right? And it'll, it must break you. These ones that you have, you're facing 
an extreme challenge, you have to show up as the absolute best version of yourself. So everybody going to these races, if they're going to be successful, they have to show up with this positive attitude. They have to show up with this optimistic outlook. They have to show up with this stoic nature of no matter what is thrown my way, I will push forward. Um, And that is the ideals that we hold ourselves to every single day. Um, Or at least we we want to hold ourselves to every single day. Um, But you get used to it. Like you get used to your routine. You kind of just fall into that comfort zone. When you're in your comfort zone, you aren't necessary. You don't need to be your ideal self. Like you can get through your regular Monday without showing up as like an idealized version of yourself. Like you don't have to be your absolute best on like a random Monday. You should you? Yeah, maybe. Like that would be great if you could, but you don't. You don't have to to be able to get through that day. You show up to like the Iditarod Trail Invitational, or Cocodona. 250 or any of the 200 mile races or a hundred miler or whatever, anything, maybe it's something you've been training for, for months and months. You show up to that. You're in a damn good mood because you have to be like, that is the only way through this challenge. The only way through is to be the best you that you can be. Um, not just physically, but I'm talking about emotionally. I'm talking about mentally. You got to be solid in all of those aspects just to get yourself to that finish line. Um, and I think that's cool. And I'm relating it to like the ideal idea of like a community here. When you show up and you're surrounded by all these other people who are also in that moment having to be the best version of themselves, like you, and they're also these weirdos that like doing this crazy thing that you like doing you're like a fellow, you find your fellow weirdos. It's this special moment and it just brings people together and it forms friendships and just like forges relationships out of this tough, tough time. Um, And I think that's cool. And I think that makes these special. And, you know, if you're just comfort zoning your way through a Monday, which I have many times, like I'm, not trying to be like, ah, I never do this. I do it all the time. Let me tell you, I comfort zone through myself through a lot of days, not just Mondays, sometimes Tuesdays, all the days of the week <laughs> sometimes. But when you do that, you're missing out. Like if that's all you ever do and you never decide to put yourself out there, you never um, just decide to do something that scares the shit out of you. If you you're just missing out on life if you don't take on adventure. I love adventure, man. That's why I started this podcast. You're like, yep, we know, Chris. <laughs> we know you love adventure. But like, it's it's been this journey and part of it is doing this podcast of like trying to figure out like what what does it, like at the core of it, like what is the thing that sticks out? And I just think for me, it's like, to survive an adventure that's hard or a race that's hard or do something that is challenging, you have to show up and you have to try, at least try. Maybe you're not the idealized version of yourself at the moment, but
but you have to at least shoot for it right because you know these races break you down like mentally and emotionally and if you do not show up as the best version of yourself that could take you out that could take you out of the race and that could that could break you ivan drago style um so anyways guys i'm about to go to the grand canyon in like a couple days well when this comes out i will be driving to the grand canyon um i'm kind of scared not gonna lie don't like heights don't like canyons they're scary you just get out of your car here's my like here's why canyons are scary you get out of your car you didn't even go anywhere you like literally just parked right and you just get out like you didn't drive up you know because if you drive up a mountain you have all this time to process like i am going up right now now i am high in the air but you go to the into a canyon you're just driving on like flat land or whatever and then you park and then you get out and then it's just like a 2000 foot drop and you're like oh my goodness how did this drop get here like erosion's weird right um and for me as someone who's we'll say mildly afraid of heights that's terrifying um anywho i'm going with some friends they're all running the rim to rim to rim i'm not sure if my calf is there yet so i'm gonna go down to the river i'm gonna go back up and i'm gonna have a great time it's gonna be fun i'm gonna get some solitude hopefully um it'll be an adventure it'll be facing some self-doubt some fear a bit um but it should be should be an interesting time maybe i'll talk about it next week who knows (laughs) come back uh All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Once again, huge thanks. Everyone who's gone on our Indiegogo, like truly it does help us out. Um, We're reaching out to like adventure companies now and stuff. And like, uh, I mean, it's silly like marketing stuff, but like the more backers, quote unquote, there are like, I think just the more like the more better. Is that a thing? Can you say more better? Because I'm going to say more better. I think the more better the project looks. Don't judge me for saying more better. <laughs> um, all right, guys, that that wraps it up. Check out the Iditarod Trail Invitational. Check out all the winter ultras, especially as we're baking in the Grand Canyon. I will be thinking about uh, Kari and Ryan's adventure up uh, in Alaska. And in a few weeks, we're actually going to have Scott Rokas, the photographer for the uh, Iditarod and Cogodona on the podcast so we will hear some more stories from this event all right that wraps it up we'll talk to you guys next week